need your cigar at once, see? Welcome everyone to another episode of Anyways Back to the Godfather. It is February 2023, which means we are talking about Cinema Month 2023. Before we jump in though, a couple announcements. We have a new film club pick for the month. It is Bill Cunningham, New York. And this is a documentary that has been on my list for a while and I knew enough about it for it to fit the theme and hopefully as you watch that you figure it out as well but we'll see I feel like you might need to watch more films for it to really become clear yeah might take six months (laughs) but but yes it's available on HBO Max it's also currently available for free on YouTube the full movie is so I don't know if that's legal or whatever but you can at least uh go watch it on there and the ways to submit your review are just as they've always been there'll be a post on instagram and the stories you can always just email us this time just make sure you have bill in the subject line it'll ping back that form for you you also can join our text group i have several people in it if you'd like to join just let one of us know we can add you to the list we also have a voicemail no one's called it i believe so i don't know if we'll keep that up as an option if Nobody really wants to use it, which is fine. It was just a suggestion from last time. But we are doing March Madness again. We will reveal the theme in the next episode, in the guest episode. And when the guest episode is aired, the March Madness will go live. And then it will be open until March 15th. So there will be more information coming in the guest episode. But just a heads up that, yes, March Madness is coming back. And to participate, be on the lookout for all that information. We are in the process of making the stickers, and I'm really excited for them. Sarah has gone above and beyond what we've expected. So more information about that forthcoming. Thank you for your patience. But on with the show. Okay. <laughs> if you're not familiar with what Cinemonth is, this is our fourth Cinemonth. Is that right? Did we figure that out? Yeah, I have four posters now. That's so fun. So... Cinemonth is something that we invented. We pick 14 films in 14 different genres. We each individually pick seven, and then we will have to watch them together in the month of January. So we have 31 days to watch 14 films. And then we also recreate the movie poster, and theoretically we have a treat, but since we are long distance, (laughs) the treat aspect of it has kind of been neglected, or it's just a figurative treat. But for now, we'll go through and talk about our films that we've watched. And we were very successful. I think we finished on the 30th this year. So, yes. Old pros. We will go through. We'll say the category it was in. Uh, We'll give a spoiler-free synopsis. Talk about why we picked it. We'll both rate the film out of five stars and then say if we'd recommend it or not. So, to start things off, our first category was silent. I picked this category which is not a huge surprise and the film was steamboat bill jr our treat was coconut shells (laughs) also i should preface this by saying uh (laughs) for normal cinema we pick the treat beforehand and eat it while we're watching but then 
this theoretical treat cinema month we just pick it while we're watching the film so uh, so it's not always edible yes at one point they were like are stepping on something and it makes a loud noise and they're like what are these coconut shells and we just thought it was hilarious so steamboat bill jr um is a buster keaton film and the synopsis is rival steamboat companies um is the background for a romeo and juliet love story with amazing stunts so the plot itself isn't like incredible but of course we have some really funny buster keaton physical comedy and his deadpan face is always just so delightful but really some mind-blowing stunts so why i picked it i'm we're both very big buster keaton fans and it's been on our list for a while and also this is the namesake for steamboat willie the original mickey mouse cartoon so so yeah i rated it four and a half out of five stars what did you give it i also gave it four and a half Mm -hmm. and then i would recommend it i think it's a very good silent film very important for film history the stunts alone are just incredible to watch i think its most famous one is of the house falling on buster keaton and he's in the exact right spot for the window to fall through yeah so if you watch psych i think it's a scene that they have in they recreate in one of the episodes but it is in the intro it's the same thing but it's gus and sean and the house falls and um, just barely misses them because they go through the window. So they that's a nod to this movie. Oh, that's fun. I didn't know that. I feel like it's more impressive to watch the film and then read about all the stunts. So I won't give any huge spoilers about how those stunts were created. But basically, Buster Keaton is just, wow, he's the man. There's no doubles. Like, he's doing all of his own stunts and they're really not that safe. So <laughs> watch the movie, then read the IMDb trivia. <laughs> Yeah, and it's only 70 minutes. Like, it's a really short watch, and it's entertaining the whole time. Yeah, it's in the public domain. Just so wholesome. Like, he's so cute and funny, and there's no reason not to watch it. Yeah. Might read our letterbox reviews for each movie just because I think they're funny, but maybe no one else will find them funny unless you've watched it. But anyway, I said, I'm forever and always blown away by Buster Keaton, and you said just so gosh dang charming. I have no idea how they filmed half of this. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just stunts. It was like effects too that I was like, this is so old. How did they film this entire building blowing away? Like, <laughs> that's gonna be a spoiler, but I don't know. Like, it's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. so good. All right. Our second category was comedy. Um, For comedy, I picked... Harvey from 1950s. So it's about this man, Elwood P. Dowd, played by Jimmy Stewart, who can see this invisible rabbit. I mean, not the sheep, the size of a human. <laughs> He's apparently taller than Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> um, even though they say he's the same height as Jimmy Stewart, I think they said, oh, he's six foot three, but Jimmy Stewart's six foot three and he's always looking up to it. That was one thing that I was like, huh? <laughs> This movie is just so cute, and Jimmy Stewart especially is, like, at the top of his wholesome game. Just, like, so sweet and kind and hilarious. Like, it made me laugh many times. Oh, I chose it because we've kind of watched a lot of Jimmy Stewart movies together, and we both really like him. 
And this is one of his more famous movies, I think, or just one of the roles that he's pretty iconic um, for playing. So I think it's been on the list for a long time for us to watch together. And I decided that it was time to finally check it off the list. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize he played it so much on stage like that. He I think did he originate the role? I think I was reading that he originated it and he would often come back and play it again but I believe this is a true fact that this is one of if not his favorite role that he played oh and what did you rate it I rated it a five out of five I also rated it a solid five stars um in my review that I wrote I did explain I didn't want to give it a perfect score because there's multiple characters that are very sexist and I don't know the attitudes for like mental health and stuff kind of made me uncomfortable but that kind of comes along with the time period but yeah I didn't want to say this is a perfect movie because obviously it has its flaws but Elwood P. Dowd's just like perfection his goodness it just like outshines all the bad parts for me at least every time Jimmy was on camera I is just smiling so much <laughs> i couldn't help it he's just so so sweet yes i agree wholeheartedly with all of um, your complaints about the film and it still is like i feel like there's a lot of films that i watch that have really negative portrayals about sensitive topics and it just like leaves a bad taste in your mouth but i left that movie just feeling so pure and wholesome and I think like the main core and message of the movie is focused on Elwood P. Dowd and his outlook on life. And yeah, it is just like so enjoyable a film. You can't give it five stars. <laughs> you can't not give it five stars, I should say. I also, think the treat, the treat oh, was yeah. martinis. Yes, you're correct. Because he loves martinis. <laughs> also, shout out to Ryan Hatch who came as Elwood P. Dowd to a murder mystery. But yes, it's just so wholesome. So, so good. All right. Our next category was horror slash thriller, which I picked. And the movie was Encounter with the Unknown. So our treat was picnic food. Very specific. The synopsis, it's basically three vignettes of people interacting with weird, eerie, like, forces in the world. There's also, like, some... They're not like folk tales, but they're just kind of like campfire tales, I guess I would say. They have nothing to do with each other other than like, there's this mysterious force occurring in these people's lives. Um, <laughs> like one of them is about these three college-aged men that are involved with some unusual deaths. <laughs> And then the second one. <laughs> I'm remembering that old woman that just shot somebody on her porch on accident. Uh, it's a wild <laughs> time. The second one is about the sinkhole that has mysterious oh, spirit inside that drives that. someone crazy. And the last one is a like, I had heard it before, this story of like someone picking up a girl on the side of the road to take her back to her house because she looks lost and then finding out that she might not be okay (laughs) here's the thing as we get further into this I feel like we're gonna spoil a lot and I'm okay with that because I don't think either of us are going to be recommending it (laughs) no 
So Definitely not. the reason I picked this was because Rod Serling narrates it. And it has like a semi-high rating for what it is. Like I was surprised at how highly rated it was. I think a lot of people, and I've been reading the reviews, a lot of people watch it when they're younger and it like terrified them. So I think there's a lot of like nostalgia oh. factoring into a lot of the ratings. Um, I only gave it one star. <laughs> I I gave it one and a half because oh. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> because there's one line that I'll spoil. So like it goes through these three vignettes and then at the end it kind of is trying to tie them all together. So it does like a recap of each vignette. It basically tells each story over again. But after it, the first one... It turns into this PS- PSA against witchcraft, and it says, <laughs> Witchcraft right now is booming in America and Great Britain. And for some reason, that sent me. I was already dying because it showed the woman shooting somebody again that I did not know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was already laughing, and then it said that line, and I just... <laughs> two tears came out of my eyes because I could not handle it. The, um, we had our own encounter with the unknown essentially like it, it the movie kind of drove us into insanity it was made with a very very low budget and so with that in mind like some of the things they're able to pull off is kind of cool but like they padded that runtime so much because they essentially made us watch the same things like five times <laughs> there's this one monologue that they literally played like seven times it was so much we were so sick of it do not watch this movie. And a lot of the acting is rough, and the haircuts are pretty cool. But, like, the dialogue's not great. The cinematography's whack. Like, it's a rough movie. And here's the other thing. Like, it, it just, it's so bad that it became just hilarious. I wrote that it was the height of cinema in my letterbox review. A lot of people were saying this in their reviews of the film which is rod serling is easily the best part of the film because his voice is so good that he he like lends some credence to what the spook factor is but they have another narrator in there mixed with rod (laughs) serling like you have literally one of the best voices available and you don't use him the entire time you use some rando like they could only afford him for 30 minutes apparently or he's just like I'll read this, but the rest of this is trash. I refuse. (laughs) I'm amazed he agreed to it at all. It's true. But, yeah, the witchcraft part really just sealed the deal for us. The next category is top 100. Um, I chose One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because, for many reasons, it's on our top 100 film posters. Uh, that we are trying to scratch off all the movies on it, which we're very close now. And it's also a Best Picture winner. It's on the AFI Top 100. It's on the IMDb Top 250. So I've just been meaning to watch it for a really long time. So it's about this man who he is in a prison system, but he pretends like he's crazy so that they'll send him to the yeah, the mental institution, because he doesn't want to work in prison. He doesn't want to do his prison duties. Because I assume they're making him do, like, hard labor or something. So it's just kind of the story of him and this institution and getting to know the other people there, like, the other 
inmates or patients. And the nurse, of course, that's ahead of them is Nurse Racha, who's very infamous. Any other adventures? I rated it a four out of five. I think since it's so hyped, like it's on all of these lists, one best picture. I don't know. There's a reason for it. Like it's, I think the story is very well done. Um, Like it keeps you interested. Jack Nicholson does a really good job. And the other actors too. It's got like Danny DeVito, who's almost unrecognizable. (laughs) And it's also got Doc from Back to the Future and a bunch of other guys that are just, they become really lovable and you, you really care about them. But I don't know. I just didn't really connect with this story a lot. Which is why I wouldn't I didn't rate it higher than four, but I think four is a pretty high score. So Yeah, I rated it four stars. I said that I would recommend it if you're like a big Jack Nicholson fan, or yeah, like Christopher Lloyd or Danny DeVito, if you really like them. It is fun to see, especially besides Jack Nicholson, the other characters in roles that are very different than what they normally play. And I thought everyone just did fantastic in it. But yeah, I think I'm kind of what you're saying, like, is really hyped. And maybe part of that was like, it was on our list and our radar for so long. And we wanted to watch it for so long. And I don't know, like, it was very well done. I think especially for the time, a lot of the issues and the systems that it pointed out and brought to light. I think it was groundbreaking. It's not one that I'm like super eager to return to though, you know? I'm glad I've watched it, but I'm it's not one of those best pictures like ordinary people where I'm like, oh, I'd watch that again, you know? Oh, if you're watching it, I'll come watch it with you. If you're gonna watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, oh, let's talk about it after. But I like watching commentaries on it. I like thinking about it more, but it's just not one that I'm like, oh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I think I just don't really like Jack Nicholson, to be honest. Mm. I think he's overrated. (laughs) I really like him. I think he does an incredible job. I don't. He always plays like this sleazeball, gross guy who's like somehow hot. He's not hot at all. (laughs) In my opinion. I am. So, yeah, I didn't really. And the character he plays in this movie is just a big fat jerk. And like he's trying to help people kind of, but mostly it's for selfish reasons and... So the like I wasn't really moved by it, I guess is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Because I didn't care about the main character. I'd agree with that. Where I really like Jack Nicholson as an actor, I didn't love his character either. So I'd like other Jack Nicholson characters more. I'm trying to think of a Jack Nicholson character that I actually care about. And I'm coming up with a blink. See, I I love his Joker. I love him in The Shining. And they're not characters that I'm like, oh, I care about them. But I'm like, oh, they're fascinating. They're really interesting to watch. I like his Chinatown character. So scary. (laughs) All right. The next category is mystery. And I picked The Trouble with Harry. Oh, you forgot to say the treat for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Pretty sure it was alcohol again. <laughs> Maybe champagne or something. The treat for the trouble with Harry was blueberry muffins. And for the synopsis, I wrote, the less you know, the better, I think, going into it. So this is like what's on the movie poster and on the, like, the DVD that I had when I would watch it. The trouble with Harry is that he's dead. And basically the movie is about we don't know who killed him. And so they're trying to figure that out. 
but it's like through the course of people talking together instead of like a detective figuring it out um and it's all set in new england in the fall and it's just lovely and beautiful to watch and i love the scenery and it's really fun it's an alfred hitchcock which is part of the reason why i picked it this is one i watched a lot when i was younger like early teenage years and um just always wanted you to watch it and so just seemed like a good time to pick it i gave it three and a half stars I also gave it three and a half. I would recommend it, especially if you like Alfred Hitchcock. It's really fun to see a less intense or less like suspense-filled one that still is mysterious and has moments of, I don't know, on edge or being uncertain. I think especially as the plot progresses and you're key still, like even in this movie that's like pretty lighthearted and more of a comedy than anything, there's parts where you get a lot of good tension. And it's really fun. What's her name? This is her debut. Shirley. Shirley McLean. Yeah. So that's fun to watch. She's great. And it was, I haven't seen it in a long time. And I was so happy to see that it holds up. It brought back a lot of memories for me. And it's so funny. There were certain scenes that came and I was like, I have this memorized. Like, I used to watch this so much. And so it was just fun. It was really great to go back to it i don't think it's like the best hitchcock or one that you have to rush out and see right away and it's probably more nostalgia than anything but i think it's very well done um yeah i thought it was really funny which i appreciate from hitchcock don't always get that oh it gets kind of slow sometimes like usually in hitchcock you're used to the tension and like i don't know on the edge of your seat so with this one it's kind of like well What's going to happen? Like, this is taking forever for them. And then they'll, it's part of the funny thing. Like, they'll do something and then undo it and then redo it and then undo it and then redo it. And I was like, oh, I can't watch them do this one more time. <laughs> but it's all part of the humor. And yeah, it's really cute. It's definitely worth a watch, especially if you like Hitchcock. Lovely. Our next category was fantasy. For fantasy... I chose The Tree of Life, um, which is a film from 2011. Um, uh, um, the synopsis is... Um, it, I'll just read what it says on Letterboxd. The impressionistic story of a Texas family in the 1950s kind of follows the life journey of the eldest son of the family trying to reconcile memories from his childhood. And it's a very impressionistic story as it says um which is really cool like from a film standpoint there's i've not seen many movies like this Mm -hmm. i'm not going to really explain why but i chose it because it's a best picture nominee and i saw that rachel had it on her watch list a long time ago and i was like oh i want to watch that too and i like brad pitt it has brad pitt in it um and it Oh, on my birthday, The Framed was Tree of Life, mm-hmm. which is the movie Wordle. So then I was like, all right, now we definitely have to watch it because <laughs> that was a sign. I gave it, I think the treat was peas and carrots. Mm-hmm. Just something that they ate as a family. 1950s food. Um, I gave it a four out of five because it is beautifully done. Um, At least like the cinematography 
just some of the shots um, and the way that the director chose to frame certain things and like the way he's portraying memory and kind of abstract ideas like creation and evolution and that sort of thing um, is all very fascinating and very beautiful. Um, but it is very like a movie person, like a film person movie. Like I know my mom wouldn't like this movie mm. because she likes movies with a more defined plot and I don't know, I guess like a resolution. But yeah, I think it's definitely worth watching if you're interested in film and I don't know, the exploration of what is a movie and how you can portray certain ideas and that sort of thing. Uh, I gave it four and a half. Um, It has like very profound feelings. The plot, I feel like lacks a little bit, but I don't know that that's really the point of it. I also love that you brought in that it is this impressionistic film because I think for me, obviously, when you think of impressionism, you're going to think of Monet and a lot of, you know, artistic painting. But I think we forget that impressionism can bleed into music. And like you have Debussy and um, you have like sculpture of impressionism. And the point of impressionism is to catch the feel of a fleeting moment. And that film does it beautifully oh it's so incredible and it's not one that I would return to frequently but I would want to watch it again um another thing I loved about it was it had so many 2001 vibes like it had to be so influenced by that my letterbox review was is that an embryo or a supernova and that is like the epitome of 2000 a space odyssey so I just I really appreciated how many homages it it paid to that, I guess I should say. But just beautiful. The music is amazing as well. So 10 out of 10 on that front. All right, number seven was documentary. I picked Dick Johnson is Dead. The treat was fudge cake. The synopsis is this is a filmmaker who is coping with the relatively imminent death of her father and his increasing um, worsening of dementia. I picked it because Ryan Hatch recommended it to me, um, and I think it won Best Documentary last year, possibly. But it's nominated at least. Mm-hmm. It's been on my radar for a while, and I ended up going with it. I loved this film so much. I gave it five stars. It had me laughing. I was very, very weepy. Like it just put my emotions all over the place, and just made me feel a lot of things about life and relationships and love and death and wow it is I highly recommend it because I think it's beautifully done and beautifully made and it's one of my favorite documentaries it has a lot of heart it's very sweet funny tragic lovely but like don't go watching it thinking it's gonna be you're gonna have to experience a lot of heavy emotions while you watch it so be prepared for that it won and the Emmy for Outstanding Director for Documentary. Okay. But no Oscars in here. But doesn't mean anything. <laughs> because it is so beautifully done. I just loved how personal it was. Because it's the director making a movie about her father and her 
family, her life, her father moves in with her and like, so she's filming, I don't know, their daily lives and adding this like kind of fantasy feel to it, like things that could happen. And it talks about her mom and her experience with her mom's death and and her dad's experience with her mom's death. I don't know. He's She's just like always interviewing him and getting his thoughts on just like little simple things. And it's just so cute. And I love cute old people and um, uh, cute old people with dementia that are not yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, But he really is just the sweetest old man. And I, I don't know. I just love that combination of reality and fantasy and just how personal she is willing to go. Like she, she's never really, she is on the camera sometimes, but like behind the camera, she gets really emotional. And like, I love that she chose to keep that in. And, but yeah, I gave it four and a half. We are now going to have a sponsor story. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Good Mythical Morning. We wish only. Oh, that'd be amazing. So when I first moved in with Rachel, or when she moved in with me, rather, (laughs) um, she loved Good Mythical Morning, hosted by Rhett and Link, which is a YouTube channel. They post a show every day. Um, And I remember at first I was like, that's a dumb waste of time. Ten minutes of your day every day watching this. But then she would show me like her favorite episodes or like with something funny that would happen. She'd be like, come watch this. And then I'd be like, wait, I want to watch the whole thing. And then pretty soon I was hooked. And I started watching it every day too. And you've been watching it since they... S- no. I started watching them in 2014. Okay. Um, My... It was funny because my brother Caleb had, um, he loved their some of their songs that they had made in their earlier years, like their epic rap battle of manliness or something. Yeah. And I remember he showed me that when it came out and I was like, this is so dumb. <laughs> These guys are, what are they doing with their lives? <laughs> um, so I had been exposed to them before. So I think that when I found out Rachel loved them, I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> they're, they're so weird. But they've become, I don't know, kind of a part of our friendship, too. Like, we'll send each other our feet. We'll always talk about, oh, this happened on GMM today. Did you watch it? Or, um, I don't know. There's so many inside jokes from the show that we'll just quote to each other. But we also even went to their concert together when they came to Salt Lake. Oh, yeah. Um, I just saw the picture of them. They're so tiny on the stage. <laughs> but... I don't know. They're just really fun, good guys, and I would recommend it as you're part of your daily routine. But Rachel has been on some of the episodes a few times, so not as a like true guest, but video clips, yes. Um, and Brad Link have been doing like YouTube videos and internet videos for a long time. I think maybe 2006. It's when they moved out to LA, and they were making films before that too. No, I don't know the timelines, but. It's so funny to me to think that I introduced it to you because it's just so quintessentially like a part of our conversations and like our part of our friendship that I'm like, oh, you've always loved Red Link. Like, it's so funny to hear you talk about <laughs> when they weren't a part of your life. So thank you, Red Link. 
keep making great content. We even love though, you. Even though they're not really a part of my daily routine anymore, sadly. But That's okay. It's okay. Our next category is the actor category. So I picked Greta Garbo for Lauren. She had to pick the film. Okay, the film I chose for Greta Garbo was... Let me look it up so I can pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Ninochka. And so it's... I chose it because it has Greta Garbo in it. And that was the assignment. But I think this is... She was... Let me just look her up real quick. She was nominated for four acting uh, Oscars. And this was the last one from 1940. And this movie was nominated for a Best Picture, so I've been meaning to watch it also. So it's about this woman from the Soviet Union who's sent to France to kind of remedy a situation with some jewels. And then she falls in love and... Learns the value of communism. (laughs) Not (laughs) communism, capitalism. Yes, she's converted to capitalism. (laughs) I gave it three stars. I think I really enjoyed Greta Garbo's performance. Even though my mom walked in and she was like, that's the worst Russian accent ever. (laughs) I thought it was fine. I thought she had a good job. But, like, at first, she's this really severe, like, um, no-nonsense kind of girl. And then she kind of slowly transforms into just full of life and fun girl. Um, And I liked her, and I liked the costumes in it. Um, I did not really like the plot so much, especially didn't like the love interest at all. Thought he was ugly (laughs) and annoying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But there were also some parts that were kind of funny and oh the three there are three Russian guys that are really cute together really funny that she's like trying to help out but they're kind of like a three musketeers trio causing mischief um I don't think I would really recommend it unless you love Greta Garbo or you want to watch more Greta Garbo or if you love Soviet Union Yeah, I gave it two stars. It wasn't my favorite. Loved the three Russian men. I want just like all these spinoff films about them going to different countries and getting stoked about the culture there. They were cracking me up. They're my favorite. I also the whole time was just waiting for Bella Lugosi to come on screen. and He was only there for like five minutes. So I just felt robbed. Or less. It was maybe <laughs> like a one minute monologue. Yeah. Yeah. So Bulyanov, Ironov, and Kopalski were the best parts and my letterbox review I said oh yeah and I guess some romantic plot and 1930s capitalism propaganda so it I think I just like was rolling my eyes at a lot of what was happening where they're like capitalism is perfect and it's a much better system and I'm like interesting propaganda (laughs) (laughs) Uh, film of its time but it's really interesting because it's made like right I think it's 1939 so it's just a very interesting slice of life where it's the 1930s on the cusp of World War II. So it just is a it is very interesting, the political messages in it and 
historical times that it was created in. I think if I wouldn't recommend it, but that would be the reason to watch it is to get that historical lens and understanding of when they were making that film is interesting more than the actual film itself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The treat was raw beets and carrots because that's what she wants to eat because she's from the horrible Soviet Union where they just (laughs) eat gross food. (laughs) Yes, we have a lot of alcohol and veggies this sin month. (laughs) The next category was director. So Lauren picked Miyazaki and I chose Porco Rosso. The treat was spaghetti and wine. So, more alcohol. The synopsis, it's a an Italian uh, fighter, ace pilot, bounty hunter, but he's also a pig. Like, that's the plot. That really, there kind of isn't, which, like, it's Miyazaki, so that's not surprising. Like, there's not really a, a Western understanding of plot or storyline in most Miyazaki films, which is great. It's fun to get exposed to that. The reason I chose it is it's on the list of like famous Miyazaki films. It was one I knew very little about and one I wanted to get around to watching. I gave it three stars. I enjoyed it enough, but there are Miyazaki films I like a lot more and was a lot more impressed with. But the animation's really beautiful and there's a lot of really fun scenes, especially. it's like these planes that can also turn into boats and so there's just a lot of like fun sky and sea shots that are really beautiful i didn't like really have a deep connection with any of the characters whereas i feel like other miyazaki films i loved the characters so much so i think that's kind of where this one's a little more lackluster for me um so i would recommend it if you are a big studio ghibli fan but if you're kind of more just an average joe on the street probably not um, I gave it a four out of five, which is probably a little bit overranked. But I just recently rewatched My Neighbor Totoro, and I really liked it a lot more this time. So that kind of put me in the mindset of, I don't know, just looking for the things that I love about Miyazaki. And I really, I just loved the animation of it. Um, like him, I don't know, them flying through the clouds and like the water because it's really based it's in kind of Italy so there's a lot of shots with the water in the ocean I thought the main there's like a main love interest kind of she's just beautiful and perfect Mm-mm. um I loved he has this like little hideout in some cave that I loved I want to live there and I thought he was cute he's like this little pig man <laughs> That he's like grumpy and but heroic and I thought he was quite charming in a weird way. <laughs> All right, our next category was historical. Um my pick was intolerance. Um I chose this because we had to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> this was on our top one hundred film poster. And it's been on there for a long time. Um, As in, like, it's a movie that we could have watched many times, but just have avoided it for a long time because of the... Well, it's very long. Um, Originally, it's 3 hours, 17 minutes. I think we watched it on Amazon Prime, which is available on Amazon Prime right now. 
and they've I think they've uh sped it up a little bit so it's like two hours and two and a half hours or maybe I don't know how you shorten it a full hour but I think they edited some stuff out just made it a little bit more palatable yeah. which I, I'm fine to watch the edited version of it same and it's there's just a lot of themes I don't know I don't feel qualified to talk about the historical issues around it but it has kind of four different tells the stories of four different characters and the point is there's like intolerance in each of these stories that creates a sad ending um for them for the characters usually and i gave it a i gave it two and a half um i did think there were some really cool shots the scenery was pretty cool there's like one story that takes place in babylon or something assyria i don't know Mm -hmm. but for 1916 i was pretty impressed with how he set that up and made it look pretty believable um but besides that i didn't like it didn't like any of the characters any of the stories the way he wove the plots together didn't make any sense I left him being like, I was like reeling after some of the cuts to the next story. I was like, what has just so happened? Jarring. And oh, Jesus Christ is in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept being like, where'd Jesus go? Like it'd go on <laughs> for an hour and be like, what? Take me back to the Jesus plot. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I would recommend it. Yeah, I gave it two and a half as well, which... I agree. I think, like, D.W. Griffith does have, like, some merit of a, like, being able to create impressive scenes and especially a lot of those, like, epic sets and massive crowd shots and, like, getting crane shots before, like, really cranes are used for that. I don't know. Like, as extensively as they are today, I guess, is maybe what I'm going for. Um... I'm not quite the film historian that I'd like to be yet, but uh, I feel like I gave it two and a half just because of some of the scale that was in it, but it's probably too high. Lauren's been getting, trying to get me to watch this for a long time so we can get it checked off, but I have been <laughs> opposed to it, mostly because of its length. I'd seen some scenes in college um there's a part of the saint bartholomew's day massacre with Catherine de medici um which was part of the reason i watched it in my french party <laughs> halloween party but basically dw griffiths makes this as a response to people being intolerant to birth of a nation right like having the NAACP. <laughs> boycott the film and like condemn birth of a nation for being racist which is all it is <laughs> um i think like sometimes they look back at birth of a nation because woodrow wilson had a showing of it in the white house and it spawned the a rebirth of the ku klux klan that 
I think sometimes you can look back at it and be like, oh, everybody just accepted it and loved it. And like, no, there was a lot of pushback to Birth of a Nation. And that's a big thing in history, too, where a lot of people are like, well, that's just how it was at the time. And it was largely accepted and generally accepted. And it's like, no, there's always pushback to people being treated terribly. (laughs) So he created this film as a way of being like, don't be intolerant against my art. And so I just have always been like, this is stupid. <laughs> My racist art. Yeah. So look under with that understanding and background, I'm like, this is a half star film, which is the lowest you can give a star. But like looking at it from more technical standpoints is probably why I gave it two and a half. But it's just D.W. Griffiths being a butt. But there is some historical precedence in filmmaking. Like he created essentially the like the original blockbuster in some ways. What? preceded the blockbuster and unfortunately a lot of his techniques and stuff are very important for film history but just understanding the context in which they're made is also important so anyway all of that to say not really recommended <laughs> i'm shocked like how many five stars it has on letterboxd and i don't know i like yeah. i didn't enjoy it right <laughs> and that's the thing there are films from this time and maybe like i guess like metropolis is like a decade later but that are lengthy, epic films, but that are enjoyable to watch and that you, like, have mm-hmm. a good time watching. So, yeah, I don't know. And maybe it's because I've just been so soured with D.W. Griffith for good reason, but that I'm like, if I'd watched this under a different context, would I have given it more of a chance? But anyway. Um, the, treat, oh. the treat was onions. <laughs> because there's this girl who loves to eat just raw onions. And they tell her, this is not a place to eat onions. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was your review. can't remember what I said. I don't feel like it was anything. Oh, I just said, ironic. Because he's being intolerant. And doesn't want people to treat him intolerantly. Okay. Mm. Our next category was romance. Oh, I forgot that we <laughs> changed the back and forth order a little bit. Okay. For romance, I chose Alfie from 1960, I think, which has Michael Caine in it. There was a remake that has Jude Law, but um, I wanted to watch the original 1966 because it was nominated for Best Picture, so it's kind of been on my radar. And then I know Rachel loves Michael Caine. Michael! <laughs> and I thought it'd be fun to watch him in this role, which is as a playboy ladies man he's really young in it so i was like okay this will be fun to watch with rachel because she loves him um so yeah it's about this it says an unrepentant ladies man then it's it says on this review gradually begins to understand the consequences of his lifestyle i didn't really i guess he kind of deals with some consequences but i feel like he didn't really learn very much in this film which is kind of what I didn't love about it. Well, I guess I didn't love a lot of things, but I gave it a two and a half again. <laughs> I also gave it two and a half again. A little bit shocked by that. Um, I don't remember rating it quite so low, but it is very uncomfortable because he is like the epitome of a sleaze Like, he treats women absolutely horrendously Mm -hmm. throughout the whole film. Just treats them as, like, an object, basically, the whole time. Manipulates them. Has multiple women that he's seeing in a day. Um, 
He's constantly calling them birds or it. it. Like, just totally objectifying all these women. Just being so mean to them. Like, there's this one girl that he's he fathers her child, but he's just so mean to her. And she's so sweet. And, like, I don't know if she thinks she deserves to be treated that way or she thinks that's how all men treat women. But I don't know. It's just really painful to watch. And... I don't know, it happens over and over again. Um, It is pretty forward for its time, I think. Like, it talks a lot about abortion and other issues. I don't know if there's any other issues. Maybe women's rights a little bit, but... Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit shocking, and I think that's maybe why it was nominated for Best Picture, because it talked about these things that weren't generally talked about at the time. And it was fun to see Michael Caine in this role acting this way kind of mostly sad i guess but yeah. it's fun to see him as like this hot young guy instead of like the old fancy man always mugging the camera and doing these fourth wall breaks yeah that was kind of fun um yeah i i agree like the only thing i will say in his favor and it is like breadcrumbs but at least i feel like he was pretty honest about his lifestyle like i don't feel like he was like lying to the girls in a way of like oh i'll marry you like i'm gonna i feel like he was like pretty upfront of like this is all i'm here for this is all i want to do so i will say like at least he the bare bare minimum is that he would at least communicate that but he really is this awful awful person and so disrespectful and yes manipulative and yeah he's just really creepy and gross but that's kind of the point right and I agree with what you're saying where it's like it doesn't really feel like he gets comeuppance because even when like things happen and if I get into more detail I'll just cut it out when he is like shocked and hurt by a lot of the things that happen feels like the women are suffering a lot more than he is it was this weird film where you weren't supposed to like him like you weren't supposed to root for him you wanted him like that's the point you wanted him to learn it it wasn't in praise of his lifestyle right like it wasn't being like oh look at this cool playboy don't you want this lifestyle too it was just like look how sad and pathetic he is and that's really hammered home I think by the ending but it wasn't done in a way that where it felt resolved or it felt like he I don't know, there was, like, a gravitas to it that wasn't quite there. The weight of this resolution wasn't delivered. So I think it could be done better, and I don't know whose fault that was. If it was Michael Caine's, if it was the director's. It just didn't feel quite like the heaviness and the weight and the regret of who he is as a person came through. Like, it was trying to get to that point, but it, it wasn't. And so I'm like, it's not worth slogging through the awfulness of how you feel the entire film because there is no really great resolution where it's like ah see not it's not worth it having this lifestyle isn't worth it that's the message of the movie but it just doesn't like the the emotional weight isn't there in my uh letterbox review i said michael caine being the best person playing the worst character was quite the mind bender for me and you said is this a psa to not be a slut (laughs) All right, the next category was the biopic, and I chose Amadeus. Oh, wait, what was the treat for Alfie? 
It was um, steak and kidney pie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Very British. For Amadeus, um, I don't know. I feel like biopics strive to be more accurate than inaccurate, but so it's kind of ironic. This is categorized as a biopic, but from the outset, they were not trying to create or replicate any historical fact. So it's more like taking these historical figures and having a, a fun story with them. I'm trying to remember, it was like this pastry. Was it the nipples of Aphrodite or something like that? That was one of them. Okay. I think I picked that for the tree. I don't remember if I picked anything else, but... um, There was like a weird chocolate, like frothy, foamy thing. Okay. Some sort of French delicacy. <laughs> so this story, or the the synopsis is basically there's a rivalry between Amadeus and Salieri, but it's mostly from the perspective of Salieri and like his bitterness towards this man who has such incredible musical talent that is seemingly just so natural and Salieri's like bitterness towards that and his relationship with God and um, his own what he sees as his own shortcomings I picked it because it is a best picture winner and we also watched scenes from it in AP Euro and is the reason. So I TA'd for our teacher far and then she retired the year I was TAing for her. So she like gave me so much for stuff. So I got her copy of Amadeus and then I made my family watch it with me. Um, and we actually started it on the wrong side because <laughs> it's like a two-sided VHS um, I gave it four stars. I actually really, really love this movie. It's very long. We watched the director's cut this time around because the theatrical cut is just not available anywhere. Um, it's very lengthy. Could use some editing, I think. It's a film I'm not like dying to rewatch in its entirety, but I would. I just love certain scenes so much, and I could like rewatch those over and over and over again. I love the characters. The performances are amazing. Like. I could just watch Salieri and Mozart all day long. <laughs> I think their relationship is so fun to watch. It's so interesting. They're very dynamic. Mozart's laugh is crazy. Um, and is like one of the only historically accurate parts of the film is that he had this kind of crazy laugh. Oh my gosh. Um, and I do. I just love Salieri. I feel like his grappling with trying to understand how the world works and like his devotion to God, but then like having life play out in a way that he doesn't understand is like a very relatable religious experience in some ways and so it just like <clears throat> even though his understanding of the nature of god is incorrect and not full i would say um i think it's very understandable and relatable to have like this i am all i want to do is praise you god and I love music and you've given me that love of music. And yet here's this other person who is so irreverent and so inappropriate and just like the most base human. And yet you have given him these natural powers and gifts. And like, I cannot reconcile this worldview. And I just think that is a very understanding, relatable, like I just love his spiritual progression in the movie as well. There's a lot of 
rivalries are like tensions between Salieri and the world. It's like Salieri and Mozart, Salieri and <laughs> Joseph II, Salieri and God. Like, oh, I just love this movie so much. And the the sets and the costumes, I read that they didn't use any modern lighting. So it's all like naturally lit or lit with 18th century, 19th century, like light fixtures. It's just... Even though it's not a historical plot, like everything around it is done and crafted so lovingly. And I just, I love Joseph II. We also found out that Mozart is Quasimodo, which was the craziest thing for me. I kept trying to make those mind leaps, but I, it's a very long film and the director's cut is the only one available. So I like would it highly recommend to everybody, but I... I'll show you my favorite scenes. It is just so beautifully done. I love it so much. I also gave it four stars. Looking back, I like I remember it more fondly than I think when I when we just barely finished it. I was like, why did that win Best Picture? Like <laughs> I, I don't know. I think because it's so long that I get really tired at the end of these long movies. Yeah, but yeah, their performances are amazing. One of my favorite letterbox reviews says that this is a retelling of Squidward and SpongeBob through the the cynicism of music. I love that image. <laughs> I think at one point also, um, Salieri is sitting down. And he's like, "Sit down, uh, Mozart." And then you were like, "This is Frollo and Quasimodo in a different world." Like, <laughs> just the way they were acting matched up so perfectly. But yeah, I also really loved hearing Mozart's music throughout the whole thing. I think my favorite part was like Quasimodo's performance, just how he brought this character to life. And I don't know, not thinking about it now more like, yeah, that's so relatable that you're like, why is this person blessed with everything, everything he wants? And poor Salieri is just like, I mean, the poor guy just works in the castle for the <laughs> Right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, Salieri wasn't untalented. Like, he still produced great music. And I think I told you this, like, the irony of this film was it kind of revitalized Salieri's music in the modern day. Like, people started to pay more attention and listen to it more. Um, but yeah, I <laughs> I think it's also funny. The episode we just had with Becky, when you were like, who is Quasimodo's voice and I was like Tom Hulse I think and like thought about it and I don't know that if I hadn't like recalled that so recently when his name popped up on the credits I was like <laughs> like I don't there know that I would have yeah put it together until one of us looked it up on IMDB or something but I was very disappointed that he did not sing oh my gosh well, he, does, he does like sing. a little bit he does at the end but he's sick so he doesn't right. sound good <laughs> <laughs> so just a very long film with something like maybe 15 standout scenes I would say I also like love Mozart's wife I feel like she has such a very interesting character she does a really good job yeah one of my favorite lines from it that I included in my letterbox was when he calls himself the patron saint of mediocrity I felt that so good I love it so much Salieri's just for me personally very relatable so that's probably another reason why I love it so much (laughs) um he said the priest did not know what he signed himself and the rest of us up for when he went to try and get an old composer to make a confession. Because <laughs> the beginning of it starts with, I mean, basically Salieri's telling it in the past tense. But 
And then three hours, well, in the film, it takes the whole night for him yes. to tell the story. And the priest at the end is just like, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Didn't ask for your life story, sir. <laughs> All right. Number 13 is musical. And I picked Little Shop of Horrors. The treat was blood. <laughs> Probably Good some sort treat. of juice. This is a story about a carnivorous plant in a plant shop that gets out of hand. I will say, last in a month, last year, 2022, I don't know why, if we like would start later or what, but I feel like I was falling asleep in every single film. And this year, I did so good up until the end. I feel like I fell asleep a little bit in, Mo- in Amadeus, and I definitely <laughs> was in and out of consciousness on this one. So I feel like I will at some point have to watch this movie again. Mm-hmm. In my defense, though, we had to watch it on this night because we were running out of time for cinema. But this was after a 11 and a half hour shift, or maybe it was only 10 and a half hours. But still, it was a very long day. It was not good. But I picked it because it was the music is done by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. We are big fans. So we wanted to see their start of their like famous career. Basically, this is what launched them into working with Disney. I gave it two and a half stars. Again, this is probably one I should rewatch. I basically was so surprised and I shouldn't be because of who's working on the music, but I just don't feel like I've heard very much music from Little Shop. Like, I don't know that it's super well known besides the main theme, which was the only one I was familiar with and may and suddenly Seymour, I guess. But I've loved the music. Like, I didn't care for the plot that much, but the music was really, really good. And also, the puppeteering is amazing. That is where the two and a half stars come from. I didn't really care about the characters, but I loved the music and that plant man. Aubrey, too. Aubrey, too. (laughs) Um, I gave it a three because I, yeah, that the music was very good. Um, I don't know any of those songs. I don't, unless Alan sang one at his concert, I don't think I've ever heard any of them before. I think he did sing Suddenly Seymour. But I didn't remember it very well. But I thought, I think the first, the opening song, I was like, I love this movie. (laughs) And then it got weird. Mm -hmm. But I did love Rick Moranis. I thought he was so cute. But yeah, it did make me laugh sometimes. The Steve Martin cameo is wild. Oh my gosh, it's so wild. I don't think I've... I haven't seen a lot of Steve Martin stuff, but I've never seen him like this before. (laughs) So that was funny. Bill Murray, too, makes a jump scare appearance. Oh, I did not like Bill Murray. <laughs> Usually I I tolerate Bill Murray and I do enjoy him sometimes, but I did not like him in this. I thought it was unnecessary and not funny. <laughs> yeah. It was funny that he was there, but yeah, like, see, I can't remember the tune for any of the songs right but now. But those are the, I've I'd heard those two songs before. Like, I don't remember any of the other songs that I listened to for the first time. Yeah, so I would maybe recommend it, like, especially if you really like Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. But other than that, it's one you can miss. Although I heard that they are revitalizing it currently and bringing it back to Broadway, so. 
Oh, that's fun. I know. Ooh, I did see a video of somebody making an Audrey 2 for the stage, and it looked really cool. Yeah. Oh, I did enjoy... I mean, this goes with the music, but, like, you can hear bits of, like... Like, some of it reminded me a lot of Hercules and the Muses. And mm-hmm. um, you can definitely hear the Alan Menken, Howard Ashman influence. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, yeah, that was the most fun. And Frank Oz. Loved it. That puppet was amazing. I loved it so much. Lauren at one point texted me and was like, this puppetry. And I was like, oh, I forgot this was a puppet. I thought this was CGI, but that's not a thing. <laughs> and to this extent, so the 80s all right and we've made it all the way through to our last film of cinema hopefully you're still with us but our last category was drama um for drama i just kind of stuffed this one into this category because i needed us to watch it for cinema um but rachel already took horror (laughs) (laughs) um the most horrific film of all I was originally going to make it the romance movie, (laughs) (laughs) but then I switched the other ones around. Um, So it is Shadow of the Vampire, made in 2000, starring Willem Dafoe um, and John Malkovich. I hate him. (laughs) Um, For no reason. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) I just do. Uh... It's about, it's kind of a retelling of the story of making Nosferatu, but it is dramatized and kind of fantasized. yeah. Yeah. But I just wanted us to watch it because we both love Nosferatu so much, and this has Willem Dafoe, who's one of my favorite actors. And he's playing this super... Oh, and it's because this is one of his Oscar-nominated performances, and it was the only one I hadn't seen yet. So I was like, all right, we got to make this happen. It does and- just feel like the perfect crossover, though, of my love for Nosferatu and your love for Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. I'm just remembering how wild this movie was. I gave it three stars. So I didn't... It was really fun... To see they did a really good job like recreating some of the scenes from Nosferatu and like showing them filming it. It was really fun to see those scenes again. Mm-hmm. Um and like how well they recreated it. Hutter was not well cast, so no, I didn't like he was part. ugly. Um he wasn't my smiley boy. But <laughs> Willem Dafoe does such a good job just being this unhinged, uh super creepy, scary vampire guy looks pretty good looks a lot like Nosferatu does uh not quite the same I don't know mystique about him he makes it a little bit more just like dank (laughs) he just takes the character makes it a little bit crazier and just a little more unhinged but he does a really good job and my favorite piece of trivia that I read was that this movie was the reason they cast him as the Green Goblin in Spider-Man. Yes. Just, he's just, they were like, wow, that man looks like a monster. We're going to make him our monster. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed those aspects, but it just got kind of real campy and 
over the top by the end and i just was so sick of john malkovich i was like i can't i can't enjoy this anymore so yeah um i gave it three and a half stars mostly because nosferatu and they like when they are just recreating the film and kind of doing this like behind the scenes look and making these like shot for shot especially since it's willem it's so fun and so enjoyable and just magical I wrote in my letterbox review that I need the clicky clack Nosferatu nails in my daily life. I want to wear them. It just, yeah, it would have been a much better film to have made it about the difficulties of filmmaking and of production and, I don't know, getting, not being able to secure the rights. And so how do you work around it and what I loved because this is what they did since there's no sound recording. The director is literally directing the actors <laughs> with what to do. And he's like giving them their motivation as they're acting. And that was so enjoyable and so fun. And I just feel like it was such an interesting way of looking at Nosferatu and experiencing that. And yeah, the more they played into, oh, this is not an actor. This is a vampire I just feel like it takes away from Max Shrek's performances, Nosferatu. Like, to be like, oh, well, he's actually just a vampire, so that's why he's spooky. I'm like, no, I want to, like, see Max Shrek acting. And at first I was excited because they were talking about Stanislavski and, like, the origins of method acting. And I was like, this is going to be so fascinating. And then it just turned into, like, what you're saying. Just can't be like, oh, it's an actual vampire. And <laughs> you'd think I would... It's weird that I'm sad that it was that there's a vampire in the story. <laughs> but I just feel like... We were excited to have more behind-the-scenes look at Nosferatu, and instead it was, like, almost... It wasn't disrespectful, but it just felt like it took out some of the the edge of Nosferatu, if that makes sense. Also, I will say that this was the other film that I was really, really tired in, so I feel like I was kind of in and out for the second half of the film, which was I, I was okay with, because... That's that was probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was not enjoying it by the end. <laughs> So that was Cinemonth. We'll go ahead and just rank our films, starting with number 14. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot. Did we say if we were recommending Shadow of a Vampire? I would not recommend. I said unless maybe. You're, unless you're Especially just, yeah, just the first half, especially, I think was fun. And then it went downhill. All right. Ranking our films coming in at number 14 for me was Intolerance. Number 14 for me was Encounters with the Unknown. Did you say the tree for Shadow of the Vampire? Nope, it was bats. Ah! I hated that part. Vampires don't eat bats. That's so wrong. So offended. Okay. Um, Number 13 was Encounter with the Unknown. Of course it'd be out in tolerance because it gave us so much to laugh at. Um, It was so bad. <laughs> Number 13 was Intolerance. Number 12 for me was Ninochka. Number 12 for me was Alfie. 11 was Alfie. 11 was Shadow of the Vampire. Mm. Number 10 was Little Shop of Horrors. Mine too. Ooh. Number 9 was Porco Rosso. 9 was Ninochka. 8 was Shadow of the Vampire. 8 was The Trouble with Harry. Seven was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. My number seven was Amadeus. Mm. Number six is Tree of Life. Um, 
Six was when flew over the cuckoo's nest. Five was the trouble with Harry. My five was Tree of Life. Four was Steamboat Bill Jr. My number four is Porco Rosso. Number three was Amadeus. My number three is Dick Johnson is dead. My number two is Dick Johnson is dead. My number two is Steamboat Bill Jr. My number one was Harvey. My number one is also Harvey. Although I feel like Dick Johnson is dead and Harvey could be interchangeable for me, depending on oh. the day. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a great cinema. There were definitely some films that were more standout than others, but kind of how it rolls. Last year there were some real I don't know, I feel like some of our cinemas movies were like in our bottom ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's which true. might happen again, actually. Yeah. But maybe less so. It feels like there's more of an even spread of like maybe four or five ones that we both really, really liked, and then like some medium and then a couple of downers. <laughs> but yeah, so go check out our film posters on Instagram. And we will see you for the guest episode and the arrival. So by the time this comes out, it may be too late, but if you still want to try and send in that arrival review, hurry and do it. Otherwise, start watching Bill Cunningham. Oh, he looks cute. I'm excited to watch it. It's not like my most favorite documentary, but I enjoyed it. I feel like there's a lot to talk about. So, you took the words out of my mouth, PJ. <laughs> <laughs>